This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website, powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-215-0465. That's 800-215-0465. And go for Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater Crusaders, America's the greatest country in the world. Happy Saturday. Thanks for being here. Uh, we got a, uh, a fun three hours today. I think I need a quick disclaimer in the beginning, though. Went to a wedding last night. Uh, and just I just... I always lose my voice after weddings. I just, I mean, a lot of yelling. And I didn't even sing when we were dancing. I, I, I mouthed the words. Dancing, please, in quotes. Is that electric shuffle is my, my dancing. Anyway, uh, my voice really hurts. Like, it hurts to talk. So I'm going to have to kind of keep the level, keep the energy level. I'm going to be low energy Jeb uh, probably for these three hours today. So just so you know, that's why I'm, I'm keeping it down here because um, it hurts to talk. And I was, uh, whenever I, I hope that doesn't sound like I'm complaining about my job. I never want to ever complain about being tired at my job or anything like that. Cause whenever I do, I always think of my grandpa who was a roofer. So, so whenever I complain, I'm like, Oh man, a lot of talking today. I think of my, my grandpa being like, uh, I would lay shingles for 10 hours a day in the middle of the day, every day, seven days a week for my whole life. <laughs> like, Oh, Okay, I'd rather talk for three hours. So hope it didn't come across as complaint. A uh, lot to do today. Coming up next uh, next hour, I want to talk about Paris Hilton, Dennis Rodman, and Donald Trump and what those three people have in common. Uh, we got to talk about Denmark. And, and I'm getting a little frustrated here with everyone saying we need to be more like Denmark, especially from people who have never been to Denmark and have no idea what's going on in Denmark. And then people who say, oh, but De- everyone in Denmark is so happy. Right, we we have to debunk that myth of how Denmark is the happiest country in the world. We're we're gonna do that a little later. Uh, also, Facebook censoring conservatives. I know you've heard a lot about this the last couple of days. Here, we actually have a, a video up on Facebook right now about this. Um, really, what I did was, how long is the video? I got it right here. Three minutes. So in three minutes, I just listed off every conservative belief I could think of. I don't know, maybe there's 30 in there. Um, and I said, well, we'll see if Facebook censors it. And and I asked you to write down your politically incorrect comment, conservative comment, and, and we'll see if Facebook censors you as well. So that's uh, on our Facebook page right now. It's doing really well. It would be our most popular video ever. But earlier in the week, we put up a video that is by far our most popular. No, I don't know. This is, I mean, it's just... Just a guy trying to do a radio show here. But we got uh, 4,000 shares. That's a lot. It's a lot for me. We've never had that many by far. 123,000 views. So I'm pretty stoked. I know it's not a ton, uh, but, but I'm pretty excited about that. So uh, if you could check those out on our Facebook page and, and share those, that'd be, that'd be cool. Um, the one we did earlier is about the uh, transgender bathrooms and about what this is really all about. I think we talked about it actually a couple weeks ago. I think we did a segment on it here. Uh, but, but So we just turned that into a, a three-minute video. Uh, but let's chat about this. Can we can we talk about the North Carolina 
and the bathroom bill and the federal government suing North Carolina and North Carolina suing the government and all this stuff. There's, everyone's talking about this and I'm, I'm listening to people talk about it in the media. And I'm thinking, gosh, no one, it's, there's so much confusion being thrown around and, and it's not clear. So let's clear up some things because I know once you know this full story, I know you're going to be able to, to help some of your friends and coworkers make some sense of this as well. The very first foundational thing we need to talk about when talking about transgender bathrooms and uh, I'm going to talk about the legality of this first. Um, We have to talk about the difference between should and is. This is where a lot of the confusion is happening. Should transgender people be allowed to use other bathrooms or whatever? Should they? Or let me be more specific about what we're going to chat about here. Should it be illegal to discriminate against transgender people in the workplace? Should it be versus is it illegal to discriminate against transgender people in the workplace? Should it be illegal? That's one question. Is it illegal? That's another question. And when we get these two confused, then then we can't communicate. Should it be illegal? Is it illegal? Okay, so that's the first foundational truth. Today, we're going to talk about is it legal or is it illegal? We're not going to talk about the should it be. That's different. We're going to talk about is it or isn't it legal to discriminate against transgender people. Okay, so here's the deal. For all of American history, all of it, it has always been legal, L-E-G-A-L, legal, to discriminate in your hiring against transgendered people and gay people. We have protected classes in America. It's the 1964 Civil Rights Act, Title VII. It is illegal It is illegal to discriminate in the hiring of someone based off of their race, gender, color, national origin, and religion. Okay, those are protected classes. So you cannot discriminate. If you're hiring someone, you can't discriminate against them because they're a Muslim or a Christian. Or a black person or an Asian person, etc. But if they're gay, you can you can legally discriminate against them. Being gay is not a protected class. And that's according to federal law, 1964 Civil Rights Act, Title VII, and the state law in about 30 different states, including North Carolina. So this is important. It always has been legal to discriminate against gay or trans people. That is, that is, has always been the case. And this is important because the perception is the opposite. The perception is that gay people are a protected class and that North Carolina came in and said, Whoa, I think it should be legal to discriminate against gay people. So North Carolina passes a law that says, all right, for all these years, it's been, you know, you're not allowed to discriminate against gay people. We think you should be able to discriminate against gay people. And they passed a law and now they're allowed to. And the gay activists are outraged. No, 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 no. The truth is it's always been legal. That's point two. Point one. Point two is this bill, this North Carolina bathroom bill doesn't even touch that issue. It doesn't affect private businesses in any way at all. 
Private businesses in North Carolina have always been able to discriminate against gay and trans people. They will continue to be able to discriminate against gay and trans people. But again, this bill doesn't even have anything to do with private businesses in any way at all, let alone hiring practices. This is about bathrooms in public spaces and buildings. That's it. So PayPal and all these other companies that are boycotting North Carolina, you can have whatever bathroom rules you want in your building. This North Carolina, this North Carolina law changes nothing about the PayPal headquarters. Nothing at all. And it certainly has nothing to do with hiring practices. But again, in North Carolina, just like in federal law and just like in 30 other states, you can discriminate against gay people, always have been able to, and transgender transgender people. Is that kind of clear? Now, let's go back to the 1964 Civil Rights Act. Again, it says nothing about sexual orientation or uh, gender identity. Let's define some terms. Gender identity is uh, how do you identify yourself? Are you a male? Are you a female? Are you polypan? Are you one of the 58 different genders that Facebook lets you choose from? All right, how do you identify as your gender? Sexual orientation is who you're attracted to, who you want to have sex with. So that's gay or straight or fluid or whatever. So again, 1964 Civil Rights Act doesn't talk about that at all. Now it does say, well, I'll get to that in a second. So all the activists, LGBT activists or whatever, have tried to make sexual orientation a protected class for the last 20 years or so, but they've been unsuccessful legislatively right they can't they haven't been able to add these protected classes through the legislative branch so what they've been doing is doing it through the executive branch now this is we're going to get back to north carolina here in a second because this is what this is all about so the executive branch a couple years ago the obama administration the justice department changed the definition of the word sex okay because sex your sex is a protected class now sex in this context means gender male or female your gender they change the word the definition of the word sex to not only mean what sex you are but also who you prefer to have sex with now they didn't change the law and and there's no legislative change here they just change the definition of a word in the law so that's the battle between north carolina and the federal government north carolina passed this bill that says you got to use the bathroom of your gender your actual biological gender and the federal government came in and said justice department came in and said you can't do that North Carolina, and then North Carolina comes back and says, yeah, we can. There's no law. There's no federal law that says I can't discriminate based on someone's gender identity. And the federal government says, yes, there is. A couple years ago, we changed the definition of the word gender. We changed the definition of the word sex to include gender identity. And North Carolina says, you can't just change the definition of words like that. Uh, No, you you didn't, didn't. She wasn't changed the proper way. You can't just change the definition like that. So North Carolina sued the federal government and said, stop bullying us. Stop telling us what to do. And the Justice Department sued him right back. Now, that may not have cleared up anything because this is a very confusing 
time <laughs> we live in. But let me just say this, and I, I don't know. Maybe we can't all agree on this. Um, we're talking about 0.1% of the population. Maybe. I'm watching this Ken Burns documentary, Civil War. It's awesome. And the Civil War and the Civil Rights Movement was this epic struggle out of slavery, which is one of the greatest evils of human history. What are we talking about now? What are we doing? We're talking about a guy who feels like a woman and what bathroom they should go. Like, this is not the civil rights issue of our time. But the grievance industry needs to do something. And this is it. This is what they're forcing on us. And this, uh, this is kind of the point I want to make is I didn't pick this fight. <laughs> like, no, conservatives didn't pick this. It's, and this goes back to my very first point here. It's not like it was illegal to discriminate against gay or trans people. And a bunch of bigoted conservatives came in and said, we want to be able to discriminate. We're, we're like, we're not, we didn't want to do anything. Like everything was fine. And trans people were fine. Trans people were always able to go to the bathroom and no one was aware and no one cared. I don't know. It's wild. Um, let me take a break here. I want to come back and, and again, uh, talk about what this is all about. What's, what's really driving this, this whole thing. Uh, and this is what our video is about. Again, it's on our Facebook page. You can search for the Mike Slater Show on Facebook um, and, and watch a short version of it. But I want to go into a little more detail um, as to what what's really driving this. Because, again, Caitlyn Jenner has always gone. I don't know what bathroom she's gone to these last couple months, but it hasn't been a problem. Right? And really, I think you should just go to the bathroom that makes other people most comfortable. So whatever you most look like. And, again, if you were a trans person, if you were really a transgender person, I'm not worried about you what bathroom are you going to? I'm worried about the the predators who are going to do something illegal, right? They're going to do something wrong and then use you as as protection and a shield uh, against getting them in trouble, right? So if you were a trans person, you should be against this law because actual predators are going to, in your name, do bad things. So trans people more than anyone should be the people who be like, this is crazy. Can we just not, can we just stop? Does everyone <laughs> stop with this nonsense? But again, there's trans activists and there's trans leaders, excuse me, trans, trans followers and trans leaders. And that's what I want to chat about next. one 888 Mike Slater show the blaze radio network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. We'll continue in a moment on the blaze radio network. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website, powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-215-0465. That's 800-215-0465. Mike Slater. All right, I mentioned this in passing at the end of the last segment. There's just like with anything, environmentalism or whatever, there's trans followers and trans activists, if you will. 
So in the environmentalist movement, you have environmentalist leaders and environmentalist followers. The environmentalist follower is someone who's like, oh, I want clean air and clean water. And, and then you have the environmentalist leaders who are like, human beings are a plague on the planet. And then it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. But they're the ones who are running the show. Same thing in the, in the transgender deal, too. You have trans followers and allies who are like, oh, I want to be compassionate and I want to be inclusive and I want to help people, blah, blah, blah. And then you have the trans leaders. And the goal of the trans leaders, as we talked about, I think it was two weeks ago in our Facebook videos about this right now, is to eliminate the concept of gender completely. They want to take gender from a biological and scientific concept, uh, fact, biological and scientific fact, and turn it into a mere concept and destroy it and eliminate it. Why? Because gender is the foundational truth, the most objective foundational truth that everything else relies on, right? If you can tear down gender and the idea of male and female, then, I mean, forget it. Faith, family, marriage, like all those things crumble on top of it because those are all based off of gender. So we talked about it a couple weeks ago. I got a couple more uh, evidence proofs of this. This is Allison Jagger. She's a professor of philosophy and women gender studies at uh, University of Colorado Boulder. I want to read a couple quotes here. She wrote this 10 years ago. Uh, if I read you these quotes 10 years ago, you think I'm crazy. Actually, do we have clip? Do we have time to play clip one, Steve-O? Um, is that the one with the transgender students? Yeah, let's play a couple, a couple seconds of clip one here. It's a big box to unpack. I identify as gender fluid, queer, or pansexual. Queer trans man who is also Christian identified and white. I identify as a dom or masculine of centered. A trans male. Pronouns are she, her, or kid, at which I made that up with two Ds. I've chosen masculine for the time being. I'm trying it out. Polypansexual, transsexual, gender fluid. I prefer they, them, their pronouns. I use he, him, his pronouns. I am gender fluid. I identify as a queer, genderqueer, or non-binary trans person. Her, her, and hers. They, them, and theirs. I'm genderqueer, uh, pansexual. It's pansexual. And I'm also a trans man. A lesbian. The gay man. And I'm a non-binary trans woman of color. FTM, so I do identify as male, but I am transgender. And then I am also asexual, probably aromantic on that scale. Okay, right. Those are college kids. So if there's all those things, then there's there's no thing. <laughs> it just doesn't exist. That's the ultimate goal. So uh, Allison Jagger, she said, the goal of socialist feminism, progressivism, is to abolish the social relations that constitute humans not only as workers and capitalists, but also as women and men. So the goal of progressives is to abolish the social relations that constitute humans as women and men. Abolish the concept of men and women. That's what that is. Another quote. The ideal of socialist feminism is that men and women will disappear as socially constituted categories. I'll give you one more quote. Socialist feminism, progressivism, makes an explicit commitment to the abolition of both classes and gender. Right, so Marxism is about you know income inequality, socialism. We want to get rid of income inequality, differences between classes. Here she's saying, oh, it's more than that. It's the abolition of classes, income inequality, and gender. 
One last line. This is from Gail Rubin. She says, we are not only oppressed as women, we are oppressed by having to be women. So just being a woman means you're oppressed. So the only way to resolve that, to remedy that, is to eliminate the concept of man and woman. So that way we can reach true equality, which is what uh, the left wants. That's the movement. That's the goal of this movement. Big picture goal of this movement. So it's about destroying objective truth. And the left likes to do that um, any way possible with everything possible. The ultimate is to eliminate the concept of gender. XX chromosome, XY chromosome. Holy cow. If they can eliminate male and female, what else can stand? we got a video about this on our Facebook page. Please check it out and share it so everyone knows the true objective here. Search for The Mike Slater Show on Facebook. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you for being here. Happy Saturday. So, put up a video about all this on our Facebook page the other day. May 10th. What was that? It was really that was a Tuesday. Um, it's got 125,000 views, which is like way more than anything we've ever put up. Which is really exciting after we got you know only a couple days up. Um, so, please watch it and share it and, and, and spread it around. People seem to really like it and, and it hit a chord. Um, I think because it's the truth. Right? It just... It, you hear it and you're like, oh, I never thought about it that way. And uh, that makes sense. So that's on our Facebook page. Um, there's two videos up there now. There's one about transgender, which is what we're talking about. And then there's one about Facebook censoring conservatives too. So you got to scroll down a little bit to get to the transgender one. But um, So one of the comments here on the transgender bathroom video, uh, I'm just appalled at anyone who calls themselves conservative and then wants to create a police state for bathrooms. And insinuates that transgender people are predators. It's more common for people of faith to be predators than transgender people who live in fear every day. All right, a couple things. First of all, who wants to create a police state? You want to know my bathroom policy? My bathroom policy is whatever we've been doing. <laughs> Everything's been fine. Okay? It's fine. And honestly, it should be, uh, whatever, you should go to whatever bathroom makes other people most comfortable. That's it. Let's just let's just be humble about it. Let's be gracious. Let's use some common sense. Use whatever bathroom makes other people most comfortable because it's not all about you. Okay. But let's not get sidetracked. It's not about bathrooms. Bathrooms are the way that they're pushing a genderless society. Camille Paglia, feminist, no conservative, said the left's, this is her quote, The left's utopian vision, the feminist's utopian world is a world where there is no gender. We are all, quote, genderless mannequins. And I don't know how they could push that world on us if it weren't for bathrooms and locker rooms. You know what I mean? I I don't know how else they would go about it if it weren't through bathrooms and locker rooms and eliminating the concept of gender through them. So anyway, there's, there's no police state for bathrooms. No one wants that. 
Second thing, I don't think anyone is saying transgender people are predators. I, I, I don't, I haven't heard anyone say that. I don't, I certainly don't think that the, the, the problem is actual predators using this protection to be predators. What a great example. This is a false compassion, blinding common sense. We see it all the time. This, this, uh, this false compassion, right? We're, we're so wired to do what we think is the compassionate thing, but in doing so, we lose all sense of reality. The problem is when an actual predator goes into the girl's locker room and now you can't prosecute them. Now, if they're taping, right? Well, that you can, you, I mean, you can prosecute that because that's illegal. But if he's just going in and watching, what are you going to do? He can just say, I'm a woman. He say, no, you're not. I identify as one. Since when? I've always, I've always identified as a woman and here I am. You know what I mean? And like, so again, if you were a transgender person, you should be most upset at this. Because real predators, bad people, are using you as cover to do their bad things. Dennis Hassard, great example. He's going to go, for jail, go to jail for a long time now, right? Former Speaker of the House. He would pull up a chair to the showers. He was a high school or middle school wrestling coach. He would pull up a chair to the showers after wrestling practice and watch the boys uh, shower. And, and he did it. The excuse was to make sure there was no fighting. So what's to stop a predator like Dennis Hassard going into the girls' locker room and getting dressed? And he can just say, well, I'm, I'm a, I identify as a female. What are you going to do? He's now protected. That's the problem here. So I don't think anyone's saying that transgender people are predators. I think predators are predators, and that's the problem. Let me make one last point here. Um, I don't know if this will resonate at all, but since we're kind of chatting about it, it's on my heart. I don't know if you think it's important. I remember a couple years ago, and I can't find this interview. I don't know where I found it. It was with Milton Freeman. And Milton Freeman, of course, economist. And he was saying something like, you know, we live in America, and America is an individualist society. And then he cut himself off. And he said, well, we're actually a family culture. Family is the most important unit in America, but we have individual rights. And then he went on talking about individualism, but he corrected himself mid-sentence to say, well, we really have a family society. And it's interesting because in America, you know, rugged individualism, and we're so focused on the individual and all that stuff and individual rights and all the rest. Yes. Yes. And (laughs) family is the most important unit. Always has been. That's point one. Keep that one in mind. The family unit is the most important. Point two, there is no doubt that we are wealthier and more secure than human beings have ever been in the history of the planet. And the wealthier and the more secure we become, the more we argue about cultural ideals. I was watching Fear the Walking Dead the other day. Uh, Fear the Walking Dead is the spinoff of The Walking Dead. I don't think it's as good, but it's just in the beginning of the zombie apocalypse and no one really knows what's going on yet, but it's in San Diego at this point. I'm only two episodes in second season and uh, San Diego's on fire. So these people, uh, they find this house with these other people in it and they're meeting each other. And one of the guys picks a book off the shelf and the guy who lives there says, Oh, you like to read. And they talk about reading and, and he goes, well, enjoy all these books because no one's going to be writing anything anytime soon. Meaning it's about survival. Now, no, no one's going to have the time, the mental energy, 
to sit down and write a new novel. That doesn't happen because we're, it's about like, what are we going to eat tomorrow? How are we not going to die? So rich societies have time to argue about transgender men using the girls' locker room. And I'll never forget Navy SEAL friend of mine. This is in the video. He said, this is the result of a bored society with no real enemy to fight. This whole transgender bathroom thing. This is the result of a bored society with no real enemy to fight. Now, he's a Navy SEAL. He knows that there's actual real enemies to fight out there. But we just throw our head in the sand and forget about those. So point number two, we are wealthier, more prosperous, and secure than ever before. So we, can, we, we have the luxury of, of worrying about this stuff. Third point, Camille Paglia. Mentioned her in the last segment. This is an interview she did with Reason Magazine. Again, Camille Paglia, no conservative Super feminist. Uh, it's long here. Let me just read a couple parts here. Uh, but, but, but. She says, there comes a time when the these fine gradations of gender identity. I'm a male trans doing this. Remember we played the, the video just a, a couple minutes ago of I'm Polly Pan. I'm this. I'm that. Like making up, literally making things up. One person says, oh, I'm kid. K-I-D-D. I just made that up. Like what? Is, what? Huh? She says these fine gradations of gender identity and gender fluidity, this is a symbol of decadence. So we're just saying, right? That was point number two, that uh, we're so prosperous, we have time to worry about this. This is a symbol of decadence. She says in one of her most famous books, she says this, in fact, was the inspiration for it, was that my overview of history and my noticing that in the late phases of different cultures and societies you all of a sudden get a proliferation of homosexuality of sadomasochism of gender games impersonations and masks and so on i think we're in a really late kind of or a really kind of late phase of culture so reason says uh, so you believe this is a sign that and she goes we're on the verge of collapse yes this is super feminist camille poly okay this isn't crazy conservative uh Glenn Beck or whatever. This is Camille Paglia. Yes, Western culture is in decline. There's absolutely no doubt about it in my view. Looking at the history of Egypt, of Babylon, and all the rest and so on. And so what's happening is everybody's so busy, busy with themselves, with this narcissistic sense of who they are in terms of sexual orientation or gender, and this intense gender consciousness. Let's see here. She goes, I voted for Obama. I've been disappointed. But I think most of the problems as I perceive them with my students and so on is that there's this new obsession with where you are on this wide gender spectrum. The view of gender seems to me to be unrealistic because it's so divorced from any biological reference. I do believe in biology. But what's happening now is that the way the universities are teaching, it's nothing but culture. There's nothing from biology. It's madness. And it's a form of madness because women who want to marry and have children are going to have to encounter their own hormonal realities at a certain point. Last part here. Uh, Reason says, do you see your personal liberation as having helped to grease the skids for decadence and for the decline of and collapse of Western civilization? She says, I have. Yes. The decline of the empire. Absolutely. So anyway, to go back to point one. We have been moving away from a family society, a family-oriented and family-focused culture. 
And I think it's because of our prosperity and decadence. Between the ages of 20 and 34, okay, 20 and 34, 67% of men and 50% of women in that group have never been married. Now, I don't necessarily blame it. I mean, there's no blame. It's just our culture is changing. Expectations are changing for men and women. I'm trying to think of my buddies from college. So I'm 10 years out of college, nine years. Um, half of us are married. I'm 31. Half so That's about right. We're, we're, I guess we're a little better than the average here. And the women, same. Yeah, about half. Yeah, so there we go. So my, my buddies in college, my best friends are, are about average. And we're in their 30s now, not married. 75% of single women are, are white as well. And, and of course, mostly these, this is about cities, right? Because culture in cities is different than, uh, than in um, towns. I mean, to put it simply, it, everyone, especially women, look like Julia. Remember Julia from the Obama campaign in 2008? So it was this graphic of how Obama's policies help women. And uh, Julia, this fictional cartoon woman, uh, was born and enrolled in Head Start when she was a baby and uh, went to college and got uh, got uh, loans and then got free birth control and then somehow had a baby anyway and then sent her kids to public school. And then at 42, she started her own business for a small business loan from the government and all the rest. Now, what she doesn't ever do in her life, and it's literally from birth till death, what she doesn't ever do is get married. Not even when the old baby's born. There's no There's no man there. Because that's what the government's replacing. Men. Men, marriage, family. Every major world religion emphasizes the family unit. And every government-run society in history explicitly tries to tear down the family unit. Literally views the family unit as a cancer that is blocking them from their government goals. Now, that's, that's the other extreme. But that we're going closer that way than what we've always done. Take it as you'd like. 1-888-900-3393. The best thing you can do is keep your family close. Strengthen your family unit. And stand for the objective truth. There is such thing as man. There is such thing as woman. 1-888-900-3393. 1-888-900-3393. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. How do you do? Thank you for being here. Coming up next, I want to talk about Dennis Rodman, Paris Hilton, Donald Trump, what they all have in common, and who combines them all, or who who, uh, is connected to all of them. We'll do that coming up in the next segment. I want to read one last comment here from our uh, Facebook video. It's from Leon. He says, this guy, it's me, is an example of one of many who are the problem. I'm... I'm sure Jesus is proud of all the so-called Christians who slander and speak with disgust towards those who choose to want to be of the other sex. If you truly followed in the footsteps of Jesus, then you would welcome those whose society tossed to the curb as trash. and You'd welcome them with open and loving arms. 
Who are you to judge? I grew up in a church, church after church. My dad was a minister. Never recalled humans being given the power of judgment. Okay, so you can respond to that comment if you'd like. Uh, I'm I'm not slandering a transgender person. I never would. Let me like, let me. I got two minutes. Let me talk to Christians, if I may, fellow Christians. The whole the first battle of, that the left waged was with gay rights and stuff. And I think Christians, many Christians, did a bad job of separating the sins of the action and loving the person. All right, a lot of Christians said being gay is a sin, and then. Uh, as opposed to something like having gay sex is a sin. And because we said being gay is a sin, then it created this backlash of, but this is who I am. And then being gay became an identity issue. And people started defining themselves based on who they want to have sex with. And then you couple that with our narcissistic culture. It's all about me. I'm different. I'm special. Um, and it became impossible to separate the sinful act with the person. Love the person. Hate the sin. Same thing with transgender. This, I mean... Your average transgender person just wants to be left alone and right, and just wants love just like anyone else. But this whole movement, it's not about transgender people, the people who are leading it. It's about tearing down everyone else. Transgender people here are just pawns. We've got some Donald Trump news coming up next. Mike Slater Show. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater, Slater, America's the greatest country in the world. How are you? Thank you for being here. Thanks for being here on a uh, Saturday. Or you can listen on the podcast, I guess. What? How many people listen live versus the podcast? I don't know if we can figure that out. Um, either way, I'm glad you're here. So I was talking to a buddy the other day, and uh, they said, Slater, who do you think Trump is going to pick as his VP? So I, again, half-jokingly, gave my half-joking pick. And it was the same pick I gave on Fox Business uh, maybe five, six months ago now. The other guy, on, on, it was on Lou Dobbs. The other guy was, uh, I forget who it was, he said, John Kasich. That was his guess for Trump's VP. And they go, Mike, who do you think Trump's going to pick as his VP? I said, uh, Mark Cuban. And they all laughed. And I said, no, I'm serious. I think he's going to pick Mark Cuban. I said, okay. (laughs) That was the end of the segment. So since then, we've been on a bit of a Mark Cuban watch. And I'll tell you why in a second. But I told this to my buddy at the gym, and I said, Mark Cuban, he was the very first person to not completely laugh it off. And he said, oh, you know what? I actually heard this interview with uh, um, Mark Saka the other day on The Herd, uh, or Chris Chris Saka. Chris Saka? Hold on. Chris Saka. I'm sorry. Chris Saka on The Herd. So Chris Saka is a, uh, runs a venture capital company. He was the one of the first investors in Twitter, Uber. Instagram and Kickstarter. So he's a pretty rich guy. And he's buddies with Mark Cuban. Sometimes Chris Saka is on Shark Tank. 
which of course Mark Cuban is a regular on. So this is uh, an interview, Chris Saka on Colin Coward show about a week ago. There's a 100% chance Mark Cuban becomes president of the United States. I, I just spoke to him about it yesterday and all he can do is LOL about it, but that's a, that's a, not a denial, right? Um, I think Cuban has everything that Trump has in terms of, you know, the adherence and the hanging on his every word. The minute you're, you're coined a billionaire in this country, everyone just takes everything you say as gospel. You can say no wrong. And that's why we see Trump skating in. He says asinine things. And everyone's like, well, he's a successful business guy. Cuban has all of that. With a bigger brain. But is not an idiot. And so you combine those things. He's populist. He's done. He's legitimately innovative. He knows how to run a business. Audiences really love that guy. He will, he will have a path to becoming president of the United States. I don't, I don't okay. doubt it for a second. Now, I am probably wrong that uh, Cuban will, will be Trump's VP. Right? He probably won't. Even though it was about a month ago, Mark Cuban said that he would become someone's vice president only if that president promises to listen to his advice, which... Not a very high standard to me. But anyway, I'm probably wrong. Cuban probably won't be Trump's VP. The reason I keep doubling down on it. Right now, keep in mind, Chris Sacker right there said 100. He knows him. 100% chance that he will be president one day. Okay, Mark Cuban. The reason I keep doubling down on this prediction is to get you to see that the game has completely changed. Completely changed. I was with someone the other day, uh, and they were poking fun at me that Trump won the nomination for the Republican Party, the party that I belong to. And we were chatting about it, and and they said, you know, Slater, I tried to become a Hillary Clinton delegate here in California. And there's a process to try to do that, and she wasn't picked. uh, But she said, yeah, she was excited. So I tried tried to become a Hillary Clinton uh, delegate. And I said, oh, that's great. Good for you. Are you going to be a Kanye West delegate in 2020? Because Kanye West is absolutely 100% going to run for president in 2020. I guarantee it. He said it at uh, one of the award shows. I forget. People thought he was joking. I'm not joking. Kanye West will run for president in 2020. And we might just be crazy enough for him to win. Everything has changed. Everything. And I blame the politicians. Every every one of them. I blame every single one of them. I was talking to someone the other day and they said, out of a country of 330 million people, how are these the two best we have in the political world? How can that possibly be Trump and Clinton? And I said, it's because productive people are busy being productive. There's thousands of people who are better on each side than Clinton or Trump. But they're busy. And if you think Trump is the greatest Republican nominee ever, okay, but why didn't he run any time in the last 20 years? Because he was busy. And I think he's at a time in his life where he was probably thinking about handing his business over anyway. Right? But the last 20 years, he's been busy building his business. There was no time or interest in being president of the United States. There was more important stuff to do. Now, at this point, I will double down again on something I said a few weeks ago. I still don't think Trump really wants to be president. I think he surprised himself with how well he did. And everyone else dropped out before he could. 
and I'll actually prove that point a little more in a second here. But my point of the segment is no one wants to be president because it's a terrible job. You have to lie and deceive, and it's not productive work. You're not doing it. I mean, you're not building or creating things. Think about these guys. Think about a guy like Chris Saka. By the way, Chris Saka, I told you he was uh, one of the early investors in Twitter, Instagram, Uber, and Kickstarter. He was one of the first people to be pitched Airbnb. And he said, no, he said, you guys are crazy. Who's going to rent out their room to a stranger? That's, that's, that's idiotic. No one will do that. He said he lost $1.5 billion on that deal by not taking it. These guys are building things. They're creating things. They're innovating. That's hard work. And it's a world that operates in reality. You can't fake business spreadsheets or whatever, right? You can't fake those bottom lines. So, and, and, and you can do your own thing. You don't have to worry about being in the public eye all the time. Why would anyone want this terrible job of being president? Honestly, we are entering an age where the people running for president are going to be billionaires. That's it. You have to be a billionaire, not because politics is expensive. That's not what it is. It's because people are sick of politicians. And we want people who have proven themselves. And I don't think there's a better way to do that than to say, hey, everyone, I'm a billionaire. And also because billionaires don't give a you-know-what about what people say. And the biggest reason is they feel like they've reached the pinnacle of one challenge, so they want to go on to the next one. right? Trump's reached the pinnacle of his world. So he's like, well, I might as well try this challenge now. When you get that rich, and this is what not rich people don't understand. I'm one of them, by the way, but I learned this from a rich person. Once you get a certain amount of money, it's not about the money anymore. Money's not money like you and I see it. It's um, Adam Carolla puts it. He calls them uh, not success points, not victory points, something like that. Though they're, they're just, it's just proof of success at that point. So, so if you have a billion dollars, you don't need two billion. But if you get two billion, that means you made another really good deal. Right? That means you, you, you built something something else that is really successful, and, and that's, that's proof of that. So it's, you're more just accumulating points than money. So when you've done that for a long time, and you're a multi-billionaire, you're bored. So what's the next challenge? Be president of the United States. Now, not all billionaires are going to want to do this, but the billionaires who are all about marketing and branding themselves, they will want to do that, because they'll be just egotistical enough to want it. And that's where... Mark Cuban comes in. And that's what I want to chat about in the next segment. Last point, though. Again, who's to blame for this? The Republican Party. Now, maybe all this was inevitable. But you had a bunch of Republicans in there for about a decade or so watching uh, a fire in the kitchen and say, ah, it's never going to affect us. We just can stay here and just keep not doing anything. (laughs) The fire grew and grew and grew. And now the house burned down. And it's their fault. Everything has changed. Everything's changed. And I don't know if we can ever go back. It really depends on how good of a president Donald J. Trump is. That, that's going to be the determining factor. If he's great or even okay, we're never going back. If he's awful, then people will say, oh, geez, <laughs> maybe we should go back to the politicians. But if he's even mediocre, then it's never going back. And I agree with Chris Saka. There's a 100% chance that Mark Cuban will then be president. Maybe even Kanye West. And if you're laughing right now, just wait. Up next, Dennis Rodman, Paris Hilton, Donald Trump, Mark Cuban. What do they have in common? Mike Slater Show.
on the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Part of the next generation of talk radio, this is Mike Slater. Slater, Slater, my my goal here is just to get everyone on the same page that it is game on. (laughs) It's a total game on from this point forward. Uh, Donald Trump didn't create create this, but he, uh, maybe you can say the Republicans weakened the dam and Donald Trump just busted through it and now it's just, it's game on. So this is a blog post written by Mark Cuban on December 24th, 2015. Okay, I want to read this. It's long, but it's good. Uh, headline porn. Donald Trump, Dennis Rodman, Paris Hilton, and Rihanna. Okay. I learned, this is Mark Cuban talking. I learned it from watching Dennis Rodman and Paris Hilton. Tell the media what they need and want to hear. Give them a place and a time to talk to you about it. Watch the headlines roll in. Dennis Dennis Rodman would tell the media where he would be partying, with whom, and something wild he would do. Paris Hilton would tell them what she would be wearing and what celebs she would be partying with. Both knew exactly how to leverage the media of the time to their advantage. It wasn't long after I got into the NBA, I realized that every team had multiple media outlets that had to write, talk, or broadcast something every day. They craved content. It was so easy to get them to write about almost anything. And once I started getting fined by the NBA, well, the national door flew wide open. The media, the sports media wrote uh, stories. They tried to add some depth of coverage to even the simplest or stupidest of topics. Say working at a Dairy Queen because I got fined hundreds of thousands of dollars for saying that the head of NBA officiating couldn't, couldn't manage a Dairy Queen. Media back then was incredulous that I would say the things I did. It made for a lot of fun battles with them. The give and take was fun for me, entertaining for some, and amazing at brand building for me as well. Stop here for one second. This is why I say Mark Cuban's going to be Trump's VP, half jokingly, because he's the only other person who knows the game. He knows how it works. Now, don't, <laughs> a lot of people are dismissing this right now. Do you remember, remember the story we told about a month or so ago of Thomas Edison? So Nikola Tesla was a much better inventor and scientist than Thomas Edison. But Edison was a better promoter. He knew he needed money to make things. And he knew the only way to make money was to put on giant shows. So he would put on these big, giant, massive displays of his inventions. Right? About electricity and all the rest. And then when those got boring, he would just make stuff up. He even said that he's working on an invention that will photograph thoughts. Now, he had no intention of making that happen. It's impossible. But it was all about getting more attention than his rival Tesla. And he did. It's about getting the attention, keeping the spotlight on yourself. Pablo Picasso, he would change his style of painting, not because he was inspired by a new whatever. He would deliberately change his style of painting to make sure that the media, the press, 
his world didn't get bored with him. He had to stay in the news. He said, and get this, he said it's better to create something ugly and disturbing than to have people get bored with perfection. Let me, let me change a couple of those words around to make them a little more um, timely. Pablo Picasso said, it's better to paint something ugly and surprising. We'll go with that instead of disturbing. I think a better word for that is surprising. Because that's the context here, changing a style. So ugly, but it doesn't have to be good. It's just got to be different. Ugly and surprising than something beautiful and boring. So, because if you keep making something beautiful over and over and over again, people get bored at it. So he's like, well, it's, geez, it's better to shock them, even if it's something horrible and ugly, than to be boring. It's better to be unpredictable above all else. Stay in the news, keep the spotlight on you. P.T. Barnum, we told his story as well. He would write negative reviews in the newspaper for his own show just to keep his name in the press. He would write stuff like, oh my gosh, I went to this, this unbelievable, horrible P.T. Barnum show the other day. Oh my God. You you gotta see this trapeze act. It's it's man, it's I can't I can't even put into words. Just it's 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 the worst. It's oh my god, the way they fly through the air and and uh they catch each other in midair. It's oh it's so dumb. So dumb. And the animals there. Uh, all types of animals you've never seen before in your entire life, but man, it's horrible. Just the it's the dumbest don't don't whatever you do, don't go to the, the P. T. Barnum circus uh this Saturday at seven o'clock. <laughs> right. You would do that. All about attention. The quality of the attention doesn't matter. That's Trump. This isn't new, right? It's been going on for all time, right? Picasso, P.T. Barnum, Thomas Edison, Donald Trump, same same vein. It's all about fame, glory, and power. And to people like that, the worst thing possible is to be ignored. Thomas Edison knew he couldn't be ignored. Picasso knew he couldn't be found boring. P.T. Barnum knew uh, attention was everything. Trump's goal And the way he's going to win, the reason he's going to win is because he's going to win the news cycle every single day. Every day he's going to win the news cycle. So think about this for the next couple of months. It doesn't matter how or why or what people are talking about with Donald Trump. It just matters that they are. That's what that whole Cinco de Mayo tweet was all about with the taco bowl saying, I love, I love, I love Hispanics. It was just to get attention. Well, there's more to it too that I don't think we have time to talk about, but it's just to stay in the spotlight. And, he, and it was. And the big takeaway that people are going to have from that is Trump loves Hispanics. All right, let me uh, read the rest of Cuban's blog post here. The problem for political media is they, they have not changed with the times. They're getting used and abused by Donald Trump in a way only those who truly understand headline porn truly appreciate. Donald can talk for hours and say nothing of true substance. But every few sentences, he's going to spout out a headline that's going to fit in 140 characters or so and unquestionably have to be discussed by the political shows. I'm not sure he realizes he's doing it. And I'm not sure who he he reflects the most, Rodman or Hilton. (laughs) But he's following in their footsteps. There are certain things that when a celebrity says them, the media has to cover. And Donald is a never-ending source of headlines. And the value for Donald in this headline coverage isn't so much that the viewers of the shows become Trump supporters. It's the fact that the headlines become the focal point of all discussions. And even when it's not, it's the squeaking springs lurking in the background. He prevents other candidates 
and the shows from being able to seriously discuss issues by overwhelming them. And I don't think he even realizes it. So again, that's, that's uh, what we've talked about for a month. He uh, sucks the oxygen out of the room. And that was one thing that the Taco Bowl tweet did as well. That was the same day that Hillary released her first anti-Trump ad. No one talked about that. Everyone was talking about the Taco Bowl. So the one thing I disagree with Mark Cuban is when he says, I don't think Trump realizes it. Of course he does. He wrote about it in The Art of the Deal. He says when other builders were, were spending big money on boring ads in the newspaper, he would just do something controversial and get free press. All right, I want to come back. You, you still may not believe me. One, Give me one more segment to prove to you that Trump knows exactly what he's doing. He's better at this than anyone, and this is the reason why he's going to win the White House. Now, disclaimer I should have started with. I'm not saying any of this is good. I'm not saying any of this is right or righteous. But it's what is. And the game has completely changed. And Hillary Clinton's going to be the first major victim of it. She'll, she'll get crushed. I want to come back with a clip from a former gossip columnist from 20 years ago, right? Way before social media. He worked for uh, Daily News. And he talked about his relationship with Donald Trump. This is such incredible insight into uh, how he operates. And it'll make sense then how he's running this campaign. And again, why he's going to win. Mike Slater showed the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. I shall continue my argument here that the game has changed. Donald Trump will win and and forget about this. I mean this is I mean Donald Trump's just the beginning. <laughs> it's just the beginning. We were just talking during the break. If you look up at any of the uh screens right now, any of the news channels, it's all about Trump. It's all about his tax returns right now is is the story, right? Um He's not going to release his tax returns. He won't release it till after he's elected. And what does that do? Well, it just keeps him in the news until after he's elected. It's so hard for people to understand that it doesn't matter if it's good news or bad news. It's just spotlight on you. If for no other reason, it keeps the spotlight off anyone else. Just ask the other 16 people who are completely ignored in the Republican nominee nation. And not only that, but anytime they did talk to like Marco Rubio or anyone, it was Senator Rubio. What do you think about what Donald Trump said yesterday? Right, So even when they do ask questions, it was still all about Trump. That's how he's going to win. The world has changed. There's no doubt in my mind he'll win. He'll crush Hillary. Um, now, the other news story of Donald Trump is the whole him pretending to be a publicist back in 1991 when he was getting divorced from Marla Maples. Uh, remind me to talk about Maples at the end of this segment. Um, so I want to play this clip here. This is A.J. Benza. AJ Benza was a gossip columnist a long time ago before social media. Uh, he was a gossip columnist for the Daily News. And back then, you had to do it the hard way, right? You had to form relationships with these celebrities as opposed to just, you know, standing outside of a club with a cell phone taking pictures like today, right? Back when gossip columnist was, was an art form. So he was on Adam Carolla's podcast the other day. I, I forget where this clip starts, but. They're talking about getting bribed, right? So you, you catch a celebrity doing something and then they get bribed 
to the gossip colonist AJ Benza here gets bribed to not print it. Um, this clip here has a uh, little salty language. We bleeped it out, but um, just be aware if there's any kiddos nearby. But there's only one. Here it is. Were they situations of like I I got caught with my guma or my lady friend or and here's, that's happened with a celebrity that I had to I had to snuff out. Here's right. And well, you didn't have to, but I knew I'd get a a favor in return if I took care of it in the column or buried it or, you know, is the favor more information on somebody else or is it some dollars? It's no, not money. It's information when you need it about a particular person. And and most people would honor that because you took care of them. If a guy's got six kids and he's around his wife with my ex-girlfriend and I tell him I know. You know, maybe he'll he'll give me pay me the favor back a year or so when I need it. And they did. They do. For the most mm-hmm. part, Trump was the biggest guy in the world with that. Oh, really? Oh, Trump spent every morning on the phone with me and other, you know, page six. He loved to get his name in the paper. And as a result, he would drop dimes on other people in every industry that he knew some dirt on. Wow. So you, you put somebody in the paper, big story. And then three days later, you said Donald Trump was at the nickname with the supermodel. <laughs> and he's happy. Right. That's all it took. Wow. So, yeah, he was. Uh, so would he call you directly? Yeah, we talk, uh, yeah. And in New York City, with the newspapers back then, 20 years ago, was just pick the phone up and dial. There was no I mean, I used to file stories in a pay phone. You know, it wasn't there was there wasn't a big cell phone world back then. Oh, they were this big. Was it was so Trump? I mean, obviously, he's always been a self promoter. Now we're seeing it oh just God. kick into yeah. ultra drive. But I mean, it's always been. I'm going to build this brand, and I'm going to cash in on this brand. And now the, and ultimate. A, and the ultimate cashing in yeah. on, on a brand. But even back 20, He's 25 years this. ago was this always is, out there pushing the this brand. This is his M.O. I don't, I'm, not even, I'm not even going to call it an act. This is what he's like. He doesn't check his pulse in the morning. He checked the papers to see if he was alive. That's the way he lived. I love that line. Uh, it's not, I mean, this is just his M.O. It's not an act. It's just. How he is. There's a ton of stories about Trump, and I, I, he'll admit it. I, I think it's an art of the deal where his people would bring him every newspaper clipping that was written about him with his name in it every morning, and he would read it. Now, you can psychoanalyze it all day long. I mean, it's probably deep insecurities, but whatever it is, he craves the attention, and he'll always find a way to get it, even if it means ratting out another celebrity to this gossip guy so that he'll write a good story about him. Or even if it means a bad story about him, it doesn't matter. His name has to be in print. Um, let me play. Yeah, let's go into clip two here. So Marla Maples. So this whole thing about Trump imper- or <laughs> pretending to be his... Uh, uh, not press secretary, publicist or whatever, to this Washington put. What I was pretending to be John Miller or something like that, talking about Donald Trump. Hilarious. And, and the, the only pro- the only problem I have with it is that he doesn't just admit it. I wish he would just come out and be like, "Yeah, that was me." Pretty funny, right? Right. But the whole pretending it's not him—that's the thing that bothers me. Him doing it doesn't bother me. Whatever. Anyway, this was in 1991. This is when he was divorcing Marla Maples. So, Marla Maples found out that he was divorcing her because Donald Trump put the New York Post on the front of her doorstep and when she opened the door she saw the headline 
Donald divorcing Marla. That's how she found out. They sort of touch on on this uh, in this next clip here. Ben's a, Ben's a clip too. What do you think on a psychodynamic level? The madman. Yeah, but is it? Uh, there's a method to his madness, or madness to his method, which mm-hmm. is I'm getting rich with this brand that I'm creating by calling you and making yeah. sure I'm seen at a Knicks oh, game absolutely. with a model. Um, but is it like? Is he insane or is he shrewd? I think he's very, no, I think he's very shrewd, a shameless and shrewd at the same time. He's going to get. Well, he's getting what he wants. Even if he lost the election, if he goes against Hillary, he'll still say, "Well, I got the most votes in the history of the GOP." He'll still take that to bed and be very happy with that. He'll build his brand for the next fifty years, and his sons will do the same thing. But I can't call him a man. I can't call him an idiot. Uh, you might not like his style, but Jesus, no one's ever played the American public and the United States government to this extent and the media. Well, and there's never been a time mm. where we would have tolerated this. So well, the Kardashians, I, it's about brands. The, the right. biggest brands stand out. He's he's going for it. Yeah. Well, he, and, and this is the guy that. Listen, back in the day when he was with Marla Maples and we were going to write the story that they broke up, he cared more about get my personal wealth in there. Make sure you get the number right. How many billions I'm worth. That right. was more important. <laughs> How about that line? Even if he lost the election, he wouldn't care, blah, 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 um, which ties into what we said a couple weeks ago, that he doesn't really want to be president. He's, he was in it for the challenge, uh, for the fun, for the branding and all that stuff. Anyway, there you have it. So it's all about getting attention. And if you don't believe any of these analyses analyses that we've done on Donald Trump these last few months, if nothing else, we can agree that it's all about getting the attention. I think that's just a basic common sense thing that we can all understand on and accept and that was the whole Taco Bowl thing with I love Hispanics. <laughs> Just to get the attention. He'll do it any way possible. If it means doing an interview with Megyn Kelly. If it means going to Scotland. New York Times two days ago had a uh, headline, Donald Trump's campaign to take detour to Scotland. And they still don't get it. They still don't get it at the time. He's not taking a detour from his campaign to go to Scotland. That is his campaign. He's going to Scotland for a ribbon cutting on a new Trump championship level golf course. That's not a detour from the campaign. That is the campaign. It's all about prestige. Because what do you think the news story is going to be that day? Not only is it going to be entirely on Trump, but it's going to be about a giant, brand new championship golf course. Remember a couple days ago we talked about uh, Lou Holtz. Lou Holtz, former football coach for Notre Dame. Do you remember what, why Lou Holtz endorsed Donald Trump? Do you remember his reason? He made a short Twitter video. I'll never forget. The reason was I, I endorsed Donald Trump. The main reason I endorsed Donald Trump is because I stayed at his golf, or I, I played on his golf courses. I've stayed at his hotels. Everything he does is first class, and he's going to make America great again too. 
And I remember I first heard that and I said, what? You've stayed at his hotels? You've played his golf course? That's the reason? That's your main reason? That's not like your 53rd reason. That's your main reason? Mm-hmm. That's the game now. Prestige. Attention. And he's going to play that to the hills. All you're going to see from this point forward the next six months are his giant towers with his name on it and his golf courses and Mar-a-Lago and all the rest. That's all you're going to see now because it increases his prestige. I want to play one last clip here from uh, Adam Carolla. I like this analogy here. Third clip. First in the Revolutionary War, uh, they, they were all coming in, marching in line with their the colors British, and the everything. British, British yeah. and uh, our guys were hiding behind shrubs and in trees and stuff. <laughs> and then we we switched to Vietnam, and we all come marching in, and they're all hiding <laughs> in trees doing the guerrilla warfare. Right. And it's this kind of thing where I think the British... Back in the day, we're like, hey, this is not the way you run a war. And it's like, it's the way you win a war. Whites of their eyes. Come on. They thought that um, back in the day, they thought submarine warfare was a cowardly way to conduct yourself. And it's like the Germans took. 500 million metric tons right. of supplies and soldiers and flesh and put them at the bottom mm. of the Atlantic. Yeah. So evidently yeah. with them, it was okay. <laughs> yeah. like It worked pretty darn nicely. Yeah. And there was a, a, other factions that were like, well, that's not noble. And All's fair in love and war. The point is, is uh, he's got himself a submarine. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. he's hiding in a tree it's with a, a submarine. <laughs> I'm on a roll. Don't slow me down. <laughs> and he's yeah. just going to win the war. Huh? And I everyone's like sitting around just going, tsk, tsk, tsk. Yeah. That's not the way you fight a war. Yeah. Where, where's your where's your humanity? Where's decorum. your nobility? Where's decorum? And then it's like, I don't have any. I'm just winning the war. Same thing here. Media. Whoa, it's not how you run a political campaign. And I like it, but that's what he's doing. one 3393 Slater Radio on Twitter. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. On the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater. Slater Crusaders, thanks for being here. On our uh, Facebook page, so grateful uh, for you sharing this. We've never had any videos like this, and I don't even know what's different about it. That's the thing. And that's it's a little frustrating. My producer and I locally here, who uh, producer uh, edits them all, you know, we've been making videos for uh, a year maybe, and they'll get a couple thousand views, which is great. Maybe one or two have 10,000, and that was pretty baller. And now we made one the other day. It's 130,000. It's got 4,000 shares. And we looked at it and said, what do we do differently? Nothing. There's nothing, nothing different. I don't know. I don't, I don't think there's anything different. I don't know. Uh, so, but I wish I knew. Then we could replicate it. So we put one up about transgender bathrooms. And then we just put one up uh, yesterday about Facebook censoring conservatives. And that already has almost 1,000 shares and 20,000 views. So uh, I appreciate that. So if you go to our Facebook page and, and watch them and, and share them, that would be superb. Uh, we also put up a video of our clip on CNN yesterday. CNN's fun. I, I like going on, uh, especially this one show because they don't they don't get me, and by extension, you. They don't, <laughs> they, don't, they ask these questions and they expect an answer, and I give them the exact opposite, and they just they're confused. 
So they asked, and the clip's on there, you can see. They say, Slater, what do you, this was Tuesday after the primary. Slater, what do you think about uh, Donald Trump and Paul Ryan and, and, and how important it is for them to have their meeting and, and, and leave unified? And I said, uh, no, no, not, not, not important. It's not that important. And they were shocked. Like, what do you mean it's not that important? And then they're shocked because that's all they want to talk about. And that's all they've been hearing on the news is how important it is to be unified. This is a media created problem. There is not a single American, not a single one who's waiting on the edge of their seat for Paul Ryan and Donald Trump to agree with each other. No one cares. Paul Ryan is not the soul of the Republican Party. No one looks to Paul Ryan. He's a pretty milquetoast guy. I got no, I no problem with him. But I don't think anyone looks to him for leadership on the conservative movement. Paul Ryan is totally insignificant in this relationship. And Trump has by far the upper hand momentum and power. And honestly, I think it would be bad for Trump to walk away from that meeting and say, oh, man, things were great. Oh, I love it. Right, we're total, total unity. Why? Because if he did that, then he would look more like an insider. He's winning because of his outsider status as part of it. So why would he want to look in any way like he's cozying up with anyone in D.C.? So then they asked me about Marco Rubio and Marco Rubio's hesitant sort of endorsement of Trump. They say, oh, Slater, isn't it important for Trump to have Marco Rubio's support? I said, no, no. It's not, it's not, it's not important at all. Who's the person? And this is what I want to get around to the, get to the people of CNN. Think, get outside your bubble. Who's the person? Who's the conservative sitting on the sidelines waiting for Marco Rubio to give them to permission to support Trump? We can make up our own minds. We don't need other politicians' endorsements in order to make our decisions. You want to talk about unity? The only unity that matters for Trump is the unity between him and his supporters. He doesn't care what Marco Rubio or Paul Ryan have to do with that. All right, I want to come back. We'll talk about Facebook censoring conservatives. Can they swing the election? The answer is yes. We'll tell you how next. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. And go for Mike Slater in three. Two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater, Slater's America's the greatest country in the world. I just went out uh, to get a quick breath of fresh air, came back in, and I clicked on three links. Okay, I promise you this happened in the last 90 seconds. Um, let's go in the order of, uh, of the show. We kicked off... Do we kick off with uh, bathroom? I think we kicked off with transgender bathrooms. Okay. And our whole argument was, and has been, and this is the video we have on our Facebook page right now. Um, it's not about bathrooms. It's about eliminating the concept of gender. This is the way they're doing it, but it's about eliminating the entire concept of gender because that is the most foundational, objective, most objective truth there is, gender. And if they can tear that down, then anything on top of it will crumble as well. Faith, family, and marriage being the most important three. Right? So it's about eliminating the concept of gender. So this is an article in The Advocate. We will win. This is a uh, transgender advocate, uh, f- you know, whatever, for a long time, famous, blah, blah, blah. 
We will win the bathroom battle when the binary burns. The binary being male, female. When the binary burns, when there's no such thing as male or female. Here's the the, the subheadline. Ending our culture's obsession with what's male and what's female will be our salvation. Okay, so there you go. So that's what we talked about. We've been talking about that for the last couple of weeks. Uh, second thing we talked about was um, Mark Cuban. Was it Cuban? So we talked about Mark Cuban and how I think Mark Cuban is going to be Trump's VP. Been saying that for about five, six months. Uh, so we've been on a bit of a Cuban watch. I go on the blaze. Uh, never Trump Republicans approach Mark Cuban about a third party run. And we played a clip from Chris Saka, who's a fellow billionaire. He was one of the first investors in Twitter and Uber and Instagram and Kickstarter. And he said there's a 100% chance that Donald, that uh, excuse me, that Mark Cuban becomes president. Not, maybe not this election, but eventually. There's 100% chance, he said. So I think he'll be Trump's VP. Uh, so that, that's on uh, the blaze right now. Uh, and then the second, th- third thing we talked about is Trump... And how everything he does, the main objective is just to keep the spotlight on him. And we talked about how Thomas Edison did it and Pablo Picasso and P.T. Barnum and Dennis Rodman and Paris Hilton and Mark Cuban. That's why Mark Cuban's going to be his VP because he's the only other guy who gets it. Um, and Donald Trump. It's all about keeping the spotlight on them. doesn't matter if it's bad press, good press. It doesn't matter. It's about keeping the spotlight on them because then it sucks the oxygen and keeps away from anyone else and keeps the spotlight off of them. Okay. Headline, also on the blaze. People magazine reporters stunning claim about John Miller tape. John Miller is the the name that Trump made up when he pretended to be a Trump uh, publicist back in 1991. He pretended to be Trump's Trump's publicist, but it was Trump. Uh, The stunning claim is Trump leaked it himself. There are two people. Who were in this, on that phone call. Donald Trump, pretending to be someone else, and the reporter. The reporter says she hasn't seen that tape in 25 years. She said it went missing 25 years ago when she moved from one apartment to the next. She says the only other person who could possibly have a copy would be Donald Trump. Donald Trump, the suggestion is, released the tape himself. So this is, uh, who are these people here talking? The person on the tape. And who's Kelly? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I can't find it. Sorry. Anyway, two people talking. One of them is the other lady on the tape. Uh, And the other person says, wait a minute. You're suggesting Trump leaked this to the Washington Post? She says, yes. The reporter says, why? You got me. And the reporter says, because he loves publicity? So you're suggesting he may want us talking about this right now because it generates a news cycle, perhaps? And the lady said, hello, Donald. That's exactly what we were talking about. <laughs> when are you going to see it? Once you see it, it all makes sense. There you have it. Um, shall we move on to another topic? Now that we've validated the entire first two hours of the show. So let's talk about Facebook here. In so you got the whole story about Facebook uh, censoring conservatives. I just read Glenn's Glenn had a Facebook post that he did. They call him. I think Facebook called him and invited him up to go uh, meet with Zuckerberg. It was pretty cool. So I look forward to hearing how that went. And Glenn says he he wants to go. I think that'd be great. Um, but Facebook censoring conservatives. Okay. 
So the question is, can Facebook swing an election? I'll just tell you up front, the answer is yes. Absolutely they can. The only question is, will they? And I guess how much of an effect? We don't know. But they can certainly have a a major influence. So let's prove that. So back in January 2012, two psychologists, uh, two psychology researchers did an experiment on Facebook users. Now, this... They released their results in 2014, and you might remember there was a little bit of controversy with their research, not because of what it said, but because they didn't tell anyone and Facebook didn't tell anyone that they were doing it on you. So what they did is they took 689,000 random users, and you may have been one of them, and they manipulated your news feed. Right? That's when you go to Facebook and you see everyone's posts. Yeah, that's called the news feed. They manipulated people's news feeds and then monitored your Facebook profile to see if it changed your behavior. And again, the controversy was that they never asked anyone's permission. Like, you know, it's ethical and necessary in every psych study ever. And Facebook says, well, listen, when you sign up for Facebook, you know, you accept to the user terms of an agreement or whatever like, that no one ever reads. And that's part of it. One of the terms is that you can, your Facebook feed can be manipulated for psych studies if we want it. We don't have to tell you. So you agreed to that when you signed up for Facebook. Now, again, my problem is no one paid attention to what the study found. So here's the manipulation they did. When you go on Facebook, there's an algorithm that determines what you see. And it's based off of whose pages you've been to, interests you have, interests your friends have, things they're liking are more likely to show up on your feed. Have you ever noticed if you like someone's picture, then you're more likely to see more pictures from that person the next day, right? So it's all this algorithm that figures it out. So what the researchers did is they selected negative posts to put on your wall. So if you were one of the selected people, you went on Facebook and there were all these negative things up there, uh, posts about bad news in people's lives and stuff. And then they looked to see if you posted more negative things. And sure enough, uh, I'll quote here. uh, They found that moods were contagious. The people who saw more positive posts responded by writing more positive posts themselves. Similarly, seeing more negative content prompted the viewers to be more negative in their own posts. So this is an important foundational point because we know that Facebook can manipulate your newsfeed and alter not only your mood, but also your actions. Okay, they can do that. They, they, they can manipulate your newsfeed legally or whatever, but then also when they do, it has an effect on you. And not only your mood, but your actions as well. All right, that's the foundational point. Now, a couple weeks ago, Zuckerberg had a Q&A with Facebook employees. And the way they do that is uh, users submit questions. It's all done internally, but they submit questions and then other employees vote on the questions and then they ask them to Zuckerberg. Right? So one of the most popular questions was, what responsibility, this is to Mark Zuckerberg, what responsibility does Facebook have to help prevent President Trump in 2017. What responsibility does Facebook have to prevent Trump from winning the presidency? Now, 
(laughs) They feel, there's people there who feel like it is their duty. They have a responsibility to use this tool, Facebook, to beat Trump. It's not just something that could be done. It's something that must be done, at least to many people. Now, before we tell you how, I'll tell you one last thing here, if you're skeptical. We've told this story many, many times. I'll do it real quick. Uh, Barack Obama in 2008 convened what is called the Behavioral Psychologists Dream Team. There are five or six behavioral psychologists from across the country, schools across the country. And they figured out subtle things that the Obama campaign can do to influence people's behavior to support Obama. And they did a bunch of little things. I'll just share one. Uh, This is the most obvious, most simple to understand. When they knocked on people's doors right on election day, Usually, uh, every other campaign says, oh, you know, I, I am, I'm Chris, uh, you know, I'm voting for Barack Obama, and uh, you know, we'd love for you to vote for Obama, too, and you know, election day today, go to the polls, blah, blah, and, and that's a certain amount of effective. But what the behavioral psychologists found through a, a bunch of different studies about peer pressure is they would knock on uh, someone's door, oh, sir, how are you today? Did you know that a majority of your neighbors are voting for Barack Obama. Yeah, my name's Chris. I'm here with the Obama campaign. We'd love it if you could join your neighbors in voting for Obama as well. Now, when they did that in in, uh, different studies, it wasn't about campaigns or Obama. It was about actually using bathroom towels in hotels. That's one famous one. Uh, But it increased behavior or changed a certain behavior about 39% more likely to do that behavior than the old way. So let's say it wasn't 39%. Let's say it was 10% different. That's a big difference. And people, a lot more people voted because of these tiny, subtle little things. So if you accept that as true, which I absolutely do. I mean, this is the basis of advertising. This, is not, this isn't a crazy concept. It's just basic advertising. Why, when you go to the grocery store, is the sale sign written in red? If an item's on sale, why is it written in red? That's just behavioral psychology. They know that when something's red, it's more urgent. It's, better to, it's easier to catch your attention. Why... Uh, If something is organic, is it have a green label? Okay, well, we associate green with healthy. I mean, go to the grocery store is one giant social or behavioral psychology experiment on you. The music that plays, the layout of the grocery store, the colors of the grocery store, uh, where they put the produce, where they put the milk, uh, where they put the magazines, right? It's all done to, it's all behavioral psychology. So Barack Obama was the first person to really do it in an election. Facebook's going to do it too. They have a ton of power. I'll tell you exactly how. Next. Slater Radio on Twitter, 1-888-933-93. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. Mike Slater is on. How hilarious! Whole last hours about how important it is for Trump to keep the attention, and all he has to do is win the news cycle every single day. And then here we find out that the other woman in the in the uh, the leaked tapes 
says that Trump leaked them himself. <laughs> oh, man. And then denied it was him. Oh, hilarious. Um, do you believe me now? I mean, I'd... just leave it there. So we're talking about Facebook altering the election. How can they do that? How can they swing it? So I hope we have a pretty good foundation in the last segment. We'll just move on uh, from here. So how could they do it? How could they do it? Do you remember in previous elections? On election day, there you'd go to your Facebook page and there'd be a button up at the top. And it would have uh, like an actual button, like a like a, the button would say "I voted," right? Like like an old campaign button kind of thing. And then underneath it, you would click yes or no, something like that. Like, did you vote or did you not vote? And if you did vote, then that would be shared with all your friends. So your friends go to their Facebook page, and it says Charlie Smith and twenty eight other friends voted today. You should too. Or whatever. So they did a study on this. They did this in 2012, 2014. They did a study and they found that it has a small effect on turnout rates. And it's very similar to what we were just sharing with Barack Obama back in 2008 when he would knock on doors and say, did you know a majority, and he wouldn't, but his volunteers, did you know a majority of your neighbors are voting for Barack Obama? Peer pressure, very influential. So when you go on Facebook and you see that a certain number of your friends voted today, it's more likely that you're going to vote. Very small, I'll grant you that. They said it increases someone's Likelihood of voting by 0.39%. Very small. But over a large population, that adds up. So what if Facebook decides to use this button? Or they I'm sure they've come up with something even more influential by now. But they don't give it to everyone. Let's say they use this button, but only on the Facebook pages of Hillary supporters. Or just Democrats. Or just Hispanics. Or just in urban areas. Why wouldn't they? That's it. That's, a, <laughs> that's my argument. We know that Facebook can manipulate your newsfeed and change your mood, which changes your behavior. We know that they can do that. That's a fact. We know that there are people at Facebook who want, who think there's a responsibility for Facebook to prevent Trump from winning. We know that. We know that Facebook has already gotten involved in elections in the sense of that, you know, that I voted button. And we know that that has an effect on people's turnout to vote. So why wouldn't they use all this stuff and only increase turnout for Hillary Clinton voters? Why wouldn't they do it? Now, if for no other reason, they do it for business reasons, right? They, they want more immigrants to work at Facebook as programmers, right? And Trump wants to stop the H-1B visa program or at least stop the abuse of it. And Facebook doesn't want that. So they're going to support Hillary. If for no other reason than that, any company, would influ- any company that could influence an election to the way they want it to go would. Facebook obviously just has a huge reach to do it. This is from the New York Times of all places. person says, yet few Americans think of Facebook as a powerful media organization, one that can alter events in the real world. When people rant about the mainstream media, they do not usually mean Facebook. 
which is the mainstreamiest of all social networks. That's because Facebook operates under a veneer of empiricism. Many people, many people believe that what you see on Facebook represents some kind of data-mined objective truth, unmolested by the subjective attitudes of fair and balanced human beings. The question isn't whether Facebook has outsized power to shape the world. Of course it does. And of course you should worry about it. If it wanted to, Facebook could try to sway elections, favor certain policies, or just make you feel a certain way about the world. So, what's the solution here? Again, it looks like Glenn's going to meet with Zuckerberg maybe soon, which is cool. And Glenn in his Facebook post had a great post. He said, listen, or a great comment. He said, listen, Zuckerberg, if you want Facebook to be as ubiquitous and widespread as Alexander Graham, Graham Bell's invention of the telephone, you have to make it for everyone. Don't, don't fracture it by being only for Democrats or whoever. Then it won't be as popular and successful as you dream it to be or you want it to be. Good piece of advice. For us, though, uh, I'm not calling on anyone to censor or to, to boycott or whatever. Um, I mean, I don't think you should go on Facebook as much anyway. Just, but that's just generally good advice. But <laughs> there's no big boycott here. Just be aware. That's it. I think it's just important to be aware that Facebook can change your mood and change your behavior. Now, that's one reason why we put this video up on Facebook yesterday. It's three minutes. Um, it's a test. It's a test to see what Facebook will do with it. So for three minutes, I just spout out uh, maybe 30 conservative beliefs about abortion, climate change, Islam, income inequality, gender wage gap. I just rattle them off real quick. 10 seconds each one. I just rattle it off. It's a challenge. Share it. Spread it. Comment on it. See if Facebook censors you. See if Facebook censors it. This video. You can search for the Mike Slater Show on Facebook. Spread it around. I hope they don't censor you. Let's see how popular it can get. Search for the Mike Slater Show on the Facebook. You'll see it. It's right there at the top. Mike Slater Show. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. is Mike Slater. Ah, Slater Crusaders, how are you? Thanks for being here. So the Facebook video I was just talking about, uh, about Facebook, censoring conservative thought. One of the conservative thoughts is about socialism and how socialism is not another word for nice. That's how young people view socialism. Just It's a synonym for nice and being nice to each other. There was a survey in 2014 and they asked millennials to define socialism. And every definition was about kindness and being together and stuff like that. That's socialism because in schools, they don't teach the realities of every country that has ever tried socialism. And they just push this narrative of socialism equals love. Capitalism equals greed. And it's frustrating because that's so easy to deconstruct. I actually want to do another segment coming up here. I want to do this. I want to do a segment quickly here, but I, I can do this in 10 seconds. 
kids think that think capitalism is fueled by greed, but so is socialism. We're all humans in each, either system. The problem with socialism is there's no check on greed. In capitalism, the only way to satiate your greed and make money is to serve other people. That's why the farmer raises his cattle, not so that you can have a piece of meat for dinner. That's why the butcher cuts up the meat, not because he loves you, but because he needs to serve you so that you give him money so that he can feed his family. <laughs> right? Everyone's selfish in all these systems, but capitalism is the only system that that directs, directs the greed into serving others. Now, where capitalism goes awry is when businesses bribe politicians for special favors, but that's not capitalism, that's cronyism, which is much closer to socialism than capitalism. Socialism is not love. Socialism is greed, envy, resentment, and false compassion. That's what kids need to know. And I say it's an easy argument because millennials live it every day. They get it. Deep down, they get it. They know it. Where'd they buy their computer from? I love it when people complain about capitalism on their computer. Where'd that computer come from? A government bureaucracy? Did you go down to the DMV to pick out your computer that you're going to buy? Could you imagine what that computer would look like today if there was no Apple, if there was no Microsoft, if the government was in charge of making personal computers? It would look like it does like it did in 1980. Kids know this. They get it deep down. What would they rather do? Uh, take a bus or, or call an Uber? Young people know that if the government were in charge of Uber, it'd be a disaster. They know that if the government ran Amazon, they would destroy it. <laughs> right? But kids have no problem with the government running the entire healthcare system. That, that's, that's the thing that makes no sense. If you, if you tell a millennial, hey, uh, we're going to have the government now run Uber. We're going to have the DMV. Uh, Uber now has to go through the DMV. So you got to call the DMV if you want to call an Uber now um, instead of using it. They'd be like, what? No, no, I don't want the government in, in Uber. But you say, hey, we're going to have the government now be in charge of all health care, all health insurance. You have to go through the government. And they're like, oh, that's good. That's good. That, I love that because it's about love and, and kindness to other people. Huh? No. Because people are going to say, oh, healthcare is way more important than Amazon or Facebook or Uber. Yeah, it is. All the more reason to have the government have nothing to do with it. Kids think socialism is about being nice. Please change that narrative. Also, they think socialism is happy. They think socialism is about being happy. I want to debunk a myth here real quick. We're going to make a a video about this next week. I keep hearing more and more people say we need to be more like Denmark, which is so weird to me. (laughs) It's like, why? Why do we want to be more like Denmark? I don't want to be more like Denmark. When did this, when did Denmark become the greatest country in the world? Now, one reason we're supposed to be more like Denmark is because Everyone's so happy there. They're always at the top of the happy index. Have you, do you remember this? Every year for the last couple of years, some group comes out with the ranking of the happiest countries. And Denmark's always at the top, and the Scandinavian countries are always at the top of the list. So they think, okay, um, if they're happy, that must be because they're sort of a socialist country. With their big safety nets and all that stuff. And remind me to get to that at the end of the segment, too. 
But a couple of things about the happy index specifically. First of all, it is impossible to assign a number to happiness. Right? On a scale of 1 to 10, how happy are you right now? I don't know. I'm like a 6, I guess. And what do they ask you at a given moment? Because I'm happier in the morning than I am at night or in the after. I mean, how do you? So when do they ask you? I like that's absurd. And there's no. Oh, so then and then you compare someone's number from Denmark with America, and we're supposed to think that's like an accurate scientific measurement. That's that's so stupid. Also, there's no single definition of happiness. And actually, the study, they don't even ask about happiness. They ask about contentness which is much more of a metric about ambition than anything else. Literally the study, they don't, it doesn't talk about happy. The only re- where happiness comes in is the headlines. The study's about contentness. Well, so hold on. What's the difference between contentness and, and happiness? Okay. Here's the deal. This is why this is important. Denmark and the Scandinavian countries, but particularly Denmark and America, we have different cultures. Denmark has the culture of being the underdog, of having low expectations, and then being pleasantly surprised when things turn out well. In America, our culture is to have super high expectations for everything. I'm going to be president. I'm going to be in the NBA, whatever. And then when things are still amazing, but not as great as we thought, then we get depressed. Does that make sense? So Denmark's like, uh, they're like droopy dog Eeyore. Like, oh, you know, things are pretty awful. Things are going to be terrible. And then when things are okay, it's, oh, great. Things are great. Now in America, we have expectations of things being the best ever possible. And then when things are better than anyone else on the planet, including people in Denmark, we're depressed and sad because like, oh, things are so terrible, even though they're way better than anywhere else. So if you ask someone in Denmark, who's, are you content They're going to say yes because they had low expectations. You ask someone in America if they're content, they're going to say no because they had super high expectations. But contentness and prosperity are different. Who's more prosperous? It has nothing to do with happiness. Clearly, Americans are more prosperous. We've told this before. If Denmark or any of the Scandinavian countries, any of the European countries were U.S. states, they'd be the poorest states in America. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but some of the states uh, or some of the countries would be a little higher up. Uh, but I think even Germany would be the, f- I don't have, I wish I had it in front of me. I'm sorry, but so don't quote me on it. But I know for a fact, the Scandinavian countries are poorer than Mississippi uh, on per capita GDP adjusting for purchasing power parity, which is like cost of living. Right? So every state in America is richer, wealthier, more prosperous than almost every state in Europe, certainly Denmark. So contentness and prosperity are very, very, very different. But they want to make you seem that because people in Denmark are more content, they change the word to happy. They want you to think that because they're happier, that means they must be more prosperous, which means we have to have uh, free health care. <laughs> see, see how that works? But they're not more prosperous. We are. We just need to be happier. We just need to be more grateful. One last thing. Um, the Scandinavian countries in Europe used to be the poorest countries in, the, in Europe. By far. About 100 years ago, they embraced capitalism. 
it's only been recently where they started um, with their welfare programs, which are starting to show their own signs of failure. But this is a new experiment in the Scandinavian world, the giant welfare net, social safety net or whatever you want to call it. But they've always been poor. And the only reason they're prosperous now is because they embraced capitalism about 100 years ago. People in Denmark aren't really happier than us. It's just different cultures. And if you want to look at one measurement, I don't know if you think this one's accurate or fair or whatever, but um, suicide's a big problem in America. Per capita, every single Scandinavian country has a higher suicide rate than America. Finland has the fifth highest. Denmark has the 11th highest. America's 18th. So next time someone says, we need to be more like Denmark, they're so happy there. They're not. Certainly not happier than we should be. one 888 Want to come back with, uh, talk about the first black pitcher in Major League Baseball history. Do you know who that is? I, I know you know who the first back black baseball player in Major League history is. Everyone knows that. Jackie Robinson. Who's the first black pitcher in Major League Baseball history? Why do we not know his name? I'll tell you that story next. Mike Slater Show. Spread the word. Mike Slater. We'll continue in a moment. On the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Mike Slater. Slater Cassettes, I want to go to Jim in Minnesota, who's from Denmark. Jim, I hope I didn't come across as disparaging to your, uh, is it your home oh, actually, country? Yeah. Or... No, 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 no. It, my grandfather came from Denmark. Ah. I've been there numerous times. So what do you think? Well, you're totally right, because uh, like I said, I didn't know about the 11%. Well, I mean, the 18, yeah, 11%, I didn't know that, that they were the top 11% as far as uh, suicide. Uh, oh no! Yeah, no, they're 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 ele- they're ranked eleventh. Yeah, ranked eleventh uh, oh, when it comes 11th. to per capita. Okay, you're right. Yeah, you're right. You're eleventh. Okay. Anyway, but uh, yeah, I was over there, and pretty much, you know, very little people own cars. As far as they mostly get around on bicycles and public transportation, which mm-hmm. there's no way I could stand that. That would drive me crazy. <laughs> Got to have my own vehicle, especially being a businessman like I am. You know, I'm all around the. Uh, you know, I live in the Twin Cities area of uh, St. Paul, Minneapolis, and so I'm all over the place in my business. And did you car, notice? Did, did you notice that people were over the moon happy over there? Were they just bounding energy, skipping everywhere uh, with happiness? No, I didn't notice that. I did notice one thing though that I, I enjoyed was uh, when I visited my cousins there uh, in the, one of the public parks. You know, I was going down, and all these ladies are topless, and I was going, "What? <laughs> What's up with this?" And so anyway, I said, "Well, uh, but, you know, it's a hot day in Denmark. You know, that's normal." Maybe that's maybe that's something to do with happiness. Where where are you right where are you right where are you right now, Jim? What's in the background? Uh, oh, I'm at a Sam's Club. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> no, I was just I'm always curious where people listen and all that, so I think that's awesome. Uh Jim, we gotta hit the top of the hour, brother. Appreciate your insight. Thank you. No problem. Have an awesome day, my man. Uh, yeah, thank go you. Keep... you take care. 
go go save some money at Sam's. Uh, I want to end with this clip. This is uh, George Schultz. He was the Secretary of State under Reagan. Listen to this story. It's great. Is there anything that didn't make it into these 1,188 pages that disappointed you? You ran out of time, space. Oh, no, I think that uh, the important things are all there. There's one incident that somehow or other is not in there, and I don't know why it got left out, but it's an interesting thing that happened. When I was, in the first period when I was Secretary of State, there was in my office a big globe. And when ambassadors who were newly going to their post or in their posts and coming back to visit me would get ready to leave, I would say to them, Ambassador, you have one more test before you can go to your post. You have to go over to the globe and prove to me that you can identify your country. So unerringly, they would go over and they'd spin the globe around and they'd put their finger on the country they were going to pass the test. So Mike Mansfield, great elder statesman in America, former Senate Majority Leader, and had been ambassador to Japan for a while before I was there, and he was a close friend of mine from back when I was in the Nixon administration. So he was visiting and he got ready to leave. I said, Mike, I've got to give you the same test I give everybody else. Before you can go back to Japan, you've got to show me that you can go over the globe and put your finger on your country. So he went over and he spun the globe around and he put his hand on the United States. He said, that's my country. So I told that subsequently to all the ambassadors going out. Never forget, you're over there in that country, but your country is the United States. You're there to represent us take care of our interests and never forget it and you're representing the best country in the world i heard someone make a trump argument the other day that uh, they said we've gone seven years with people leading the country who do not believe that america is a force for good in the world people who believe that america is inherently bad and at our core we are racist and imperialist and we cause harm to the world Right. Our president said when he first got the job, he went over somewhere and said, yeah, I believe in American exceptionalism, just like the Greeks believe in Greek exceptionalism and the Brits believe in British exceptionalism. Huh? That's a fundamental misunderstanding of America. And that was our country. That's, that was our president seven years ago. Still believes the same. And it's amazing today that, it, you know, putting America first. Remember that policy speech that Obama gave a while back, put, uh, putting America first? Like, I think people are crying out for that. People are thirsting for that. And it's wild that that's an extremist position to take. America first. Don't forget where your country is. Don't forget your home. Uh, I don't want to be more like Denmark. (laughs) I want to be more like America. Search for the Mike Slater Show on Facebook. Please share those videos, and we'll see you next Saturday. Have a wonderful rest of your weekend. Mike Slater Show. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network.